0: New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple
1: Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The CM Punk. Yes, it, we are talking about CM Punk once again. I am your host, Tyler Fornes, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Fred Moreland, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Fred, I'm going to start off the show by taking a massive victory lap for myself and a massive victory lap for the Hungy Cat, because the Hungy Cat is cancer-free. And it's official. It is a banner week here for the podcast, but it also is for me because I called it. I called it. I believe it was last week. The second we saw that Chicago was the day before the week before forbidden door, that that would be the day CM Punk returns to the company. And Dave Meltzer is reporting exactly that in the April, um, 24th edition of the wrestling observer newsletter. Well, the newsletter that just dropped on. Came out today on the 21st. Um, the return is scheduled for a June 17th show in Chicago's United Center. Yes, it's the second dance or whatever you want to call it. Look, we get to victory lap this because we called it. More specifically, I called it. You called it. Wee, woo, 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 as I'm using a pen to circle a victory lap as Odie is chewing on a toy in celebration as well. Look, this it is what it is. And I think where we need to go with this, Fred, is we need to talk about the creation of the Saturday show which is going to be two hours and it's reportedly going to be called collision Mm -hmm. and it sounds like and we don't have anything concrete on this we can only go by what we know and Fred what we know is this it sounds like based on reporting that it's going to be a soft ish brand split and that split is likely going to be those who are willing to work with CM Punk and those who aren't. Those who are willing to work with Punk are likely going to be on Collision. Those who don't want to work with Punk are likely going to be on Dynamite. And it raises the question, is Collision going to be treated like an A-show? So we were were told that with Rampage. Right. Ended up being a bunch of bullshit. Ring of Honor. Yeah.
0: Dark, dark elevation were going to matter. They don't at all. Uh, How many episodes of Ring of Honor have you watched so far? Not the pay-per-view, but the actual TV.
1: I'm going to be honest with all my work that I've been doing. I've watched zero. Um,
0: I'm better than you. I've watched one. I watched the first one and like, it wasn't a bad episode or anything, but it felt like what dark and dark elevation should have been for a long time, uh, which is uh, half squashes and half longer matches um, that like have pretty clear winners going into them. Um, But it feels very much like an extended rampage. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. This will be the uh, the fifth television show that Tony Khan's booking, if you include the Dark and Dark Elevation, uh, with along with Rampage and Dynamite, and then if he's actually, even booking
1: Dark and Dark Elevation, because if I remember correctly, like QT Marshall was responsible for a lot of those bookings. Am I oh right? well, then
0: I, I was under the impression that QT was like responsible for bringing in talent, like for the job slots, but I'm not sure about like the actual booking of the shows.
1: I mean, look, I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. I mean, just ask my wife. But I I remember that something about Tony Khan overseeing it, but really giving creative control to somebody else. And I thought that was QT because he was dealing, obviously, with the Nightmare Factory guys and being really responsible for all their training.
0: That is very possible. Um, I don't know how much the uh, – Honestly, uh the amount of attention I pay to dark and dark elevation these days is rather mixed to say the least. Um I don't know how much of those spots are going to the the nightmare guys and just looking over the uh let's let's look at the last dark. So we got ourselves Jus Robinson against Pat Buck. Um, what? yeah, that? Pat okay. Buck
1: Okay okay, this was this Mondays? Yeah, dark this is this elevation? last
0: dark. This last dark. Monday.
1: I need to watch that match. That sounds Sorry,
0: Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, it's got a 6.0 on the old cage match with a grand total of five votes coming in, so...
1: That's pretty good for a Dark Elevation match.
0: Yeah. Then we got the Renegade Twins against Brittany J and Kia Dream, who I've definitely heard of. Cole Carter, remember him? Um, uh, (laughs) We need to come up with... uh, uh, Which group was he fake Sting for? Was that... I'm blanking out now. Who was he? The fake Sting for for the it
1: was week? um the factory, the,
0: the factory. Okay, uh, so we have Sting, NWO Sting, and now Factory Sting uh, against Hunter James. Uh, we all know and love the Iron Savages. So they changed Bear Country's name to Iron Savages. Um, I guess Bear yeah,
1: Country Bear
0: Country was, was a awesome great awesome name, and now they're just Boulder and Bronson. They're not even Bear Boulder and Bear Bronson um, against the Trustbusters. Uh, but like the Trustbusters B-team with Jeeves K and Sunny Kiss. Um, Marina Shafir against Dream Girl Ellie. Uh, Ariel Levy and Jarrett Diaz against Jorah Joel and Rohit Raju. Uh, all hey, these, I, I all the stars say, are out tonight. Um, I
1: gotta say this. Um... Kelly Harris, the um, co-host of Jumping Bomb Audio on the same podcast network, does a bit on his, uh, his uh, other podcast, Panels on Pages, which is comic book podcast, and they they do this bit. I don't know if you've seen it, Fred, where it's uh, wrestler or porn star, <laughs> and Dream Girl Ellie is that's ben- that's a, good a phenomenal. One. That was
0: one. super challenging one, and then the Aww. main event sounds sounds cool as hell to be honest. Uh, and Helico against Christopher Daniels.
1: I that sounds like fascinating it. because yeah. Chris your Daniels obviously he could move in bet in his heyday, but he's in his 50s now. And Helico basically has made a career off of a couple of the flippy do moves. Like, yeah, that's I like, like
0: him. I like him. Helico, so um,
1: he's great to have in your lower card.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's a good job guy. Uh, job to the stars, I guess, would be the unkind way to put it. Um, before we get into the CM Punk talk, because uh, fuck. um. <laughs> I feel yeah, I like we're going to talk about it till we die. I didn't realize uh, the start of this podcast would mean that I'd be on the CM Punk drama beat for the rest of my life. Um well,
1: yes. Uh, yes. It, look, I, I was the one who pitched the podcast to you. This is the monkey's blame-
0: paw finger closing.
1: You can blame me if you want, Fred, but at the end of the day, whatever. Like, I'm going to
0: have to train uh, the hungry Cat to bite on command. Um <laughs> To play the role of Ace steel uh allegedly um okay so uh first of all the hungry cat cancer free 100% not straight edge she is still fucked up they uh they doped her up for uh for the, the you know the administration of the medication and everything and she's still got like her eyeballs moving in different directions basically she uh they gave her a little a cute little uh Bandana that said cancer free or cancer survivor or something, but we had to put in the washer immediately upon returning home because it was covered in drool. Just, uh, <laughs> she's just like a hundred percent, she's drugged out, she's partying uh, on her own. Um, but yeah, she's doing great. Um, I speaking of partying it up, she, you know, she at least uh, she celebrated April 20th. I know CM Punk did it, uh, but I have a quick story to tell. I remember that the date reminded me of back in high school this was like 2002 because i'm old um so we had like columbine happened but like school shootings were not a regular occurrence like they are now sadly uh but i grew up like in relatively speaking a small town in west virginia which they all are uh at best uh but our high school um you know it wasn't like a big trouble place the biggest trouble that happened while I was there that I'm aware of is that some uh, some rednecks decided to recreate Fight Club behind the pizza place across the street. So so one day uh, we get to school and like the teachers are all in a tizzy and no one's really sure why and it turns out that they thought someone had threatened one of our teachers who was Mrs. Brady and I come to find out that it's because they had someone had spray painted her room number on the outside of the building And they were all freaked out because like, this is clearly targeting Mrs. Brady. Someone's going to come after her. And I don't know who exactly did it. I always, I've always wondered how this conversation went, but I guess someone had to tell this group of adults that a 420 was the drug number in Mm -hmm. uh, 2002, which just the idea of like an administration having absolutely no one aware of that just kind of cracked me up. Anyways. Like it was, like twenty five years after Xi Jinping. Like, come on, y'all. Um. Anyways, uh, NFL draft. Let's talk about that because I'm going to procrastinate on CM Punk talk some more. Uh, Fire Tyler, A. Tyler, uh, is Bryce Young going first overall?
1: I I think so. Um, I haven't looked at the odds, but I think the the latest odds I had seen it was like um minus like ten thousand or something. Um, I'll stall and pull up draft kings as the hungry dog is playing with this board in my office because we're trying to build some ikea furniture and there's still just one piece hanging in the office i don't know why
0: hungry dog but, jim duggan
1: jim doggan yeah. there we go <laughs> jim Duggan, number one overall draft pick bryce young minus 1600 um, that seems likely <laughs> so it's very interesting because frank reich uh has historically liked quarterbacks over the height of 6-3 bryce young would be the smallest quarterback ever drafted at 5'10 and 194 pounds. Like, Kyler Murray was shorter mm-hmm. by just a smidge. Yeah. But he also weighed 210 pounds, and he was built relatively thick. Bryce Young is a slight build. Yeah. Um, so, it makes the, the discussion a little more difficult. Odie, stop. You're being a turkey. Um and uh, look, Bryce Young is my number three quarterback in this class. I have the top three guys clustered relatively close. Like I I have a, my scales out of 100 and I have like 85 to uh, 90 is like a day one starter. 90 to 95 is a pro bowler. Above that is I believe they're all pro caliber players like like pretty quickly. Um, CJ Stroud is my number one guy at 88.5. Anthony Richardson at 87.9 is my number two guy. And then Bryce Young's at 87.1. Like, I like all of these players, but how you project them to the NFL is just different. It's right. I I guess it would be like going from NXT to the main roster in WWE. Like, yeah, you're successful in this little bubble where you have this, it's an NXT style. It's, it was basically a super indie, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're going to the big boy land and. Expected to have all these nuances, and you're not doing a lot of these high end style of matches, you're doing the WWE house style, and there's a really big learning curve. And just adjusting and being able to work with creative and all that stuff, some guys just don't, there isn't that kind of chemistry, and some guys it works really well. Like uh, Kevin Owens has been a universal champion, Sami Zayn is probably the most over character in the company right now. But it, it, it's not that same way for everybody. Just look at the fall of Johnny Gargano. Mm-hmm. So when you look at how to project quarterbacks, you try to project things that will translate. You try to project, okay, they can run through progressions well. They have the arm talent to be able to make all throws consistently. And when you have a guy who's small, you have to create your own passing lane sometimes. And you can't see over guys who are 6'5 protecting you. It's It's not impossible but it is a deterrent and if you have two players equal one is 510 one is 64 you're taking the guy who's 64 because he has advantages and it's not being sizist you just you want to eliminate any potential variables that could impact your team in a negative way and that is one of the easiest things to do and young i think is tremendous he plays like superman but he doesn't have the biggest arm he just has a knack for creating especially when there's nothing there but how can he do that in the NFL, when everybody's much faster, when the spacing is a, a lot tighter, because instead of um, 18 yard wide hash marks, it's nine. So if you're throwing from the far hash mark in college, you're throwing that ball like 35 yards across to the other sideline in the NFL. It's all it's almost 10 yards smaller and the splits are different and it's going to be harder for him to do some of that creating. How is he going to be within structure? How is he going to be with timing routes when he has to potentially create his own throwing windows? That is difficult. And I don't have those concerns with CJ Stroud who's almost six foot three. I don't have them with Anthony Richardson who's built like me, except really athletic and not fat. Uh, And pair those things together. Like Young's going to go number one. And I think it's a little weird considering what Frank Reich likes in a quarterback, but I also think it's, He's still really good, so it's hard to complain. I I would take Stroud and Richardson first, but I'm not going to belittle anybody for taking Young.
0: Uh, Tyler Fornes, uh Randy Orton simp uh, is what I've learned from this. Um, <laughs> follow-up question, as a Kentuckian, I am legally required to ask this because uh, I've been told Will Levis is good, um, but you didn't mention him among your top three quarterbacks. I must ask you, uh, why do you hate America?
1: I don't. I don't hate America. I just hate Kentucky. Um, I, I think that's dare pretty you. obvious. Uh, no, uh, Will Levis is my number four quarterback, and I have him significantly farther down in my rankings. He graded in the second round at eighty point eight. Um, and one of the reasons with Levis is you don't really know what you're gonna get. He's so my comparison for Will Levis is Kirk Cousins with the ability to make throws like Josh oh, Allen.
0: Okay that's gross. um
1: he's got a big boy arm but he kind of has some of the same things with kirk when in rhythm really good accurate he kind of sinks under pressure a little bit um it, so pressures mean more than sacks because it impacts the quarterback but you also don't want to be able to convert pressures to sacks that that's an issue is the hungry dog has my shoe upstairs um he doesn't ever grab shoes this is really weird but Anyways, so um, a a good number for pressure to sack uh, conversion is about 15%. So 15% of your pressures end up in sacks. It's one out of every six and two-thirds pressures. That sounds about right. Um, Will Levis is at 26%. And contextualizing that is difficult because the offensive line is terrible. This past year, the offense was really bad as far as design. And then on the other hand, you have his receiving talent, and there was like nobody there. Exactly. So watching Levis, he shows the ability to handle pressure well. He also collapses. But if he gets in a good system in the NFL with capable weapons, with a capable offensive line and a capable offensive scheme, I'm not even asking for good to great. I'm just saying capable. Give me average. What is Will Levis' baseline? I, I really don't know. And that, to me, is what makes him such a difficult evaluation. He can make incredible throws. He can do a lot of these immaculate things. But then he just becomes a a damn turtle, goes into his shell, and he's kind of bad at once every so often. So I don't know what to think of him. I don't know how to project him. He's the highest variance guy in the class. I don't know how he's going to come out of this. And to me, that that's the scariest thing. Um, I, I, I see a bigger path with guys like Stroud, Young, and Richardson. Some people say, oh, he can just run an NFL offense. He did pro style stuff in college. That's a high floor guy. No, a high floor guy to me, and somebody said this a couple weeks ago, and it completely changed my thinking. The guy that has the high uh, elite traits has the higher floor because even if they're inconsistent, they can do incredible things. And if you can, even if you deal with some of the crap, if you do something incredible every so often, that balances it out pretty well, doesn't it? Like if you like, Oh, I throw like an extra five interceptions a year, but then I'll throw five more deep balls for touchdowns. Yeah. You might take that. Um, That trade-off sounds interesting. So I'm really not sure what to think of Will Levis just because of that. And it i wouldn't be mad if the vikings took him at 23 but i just, i don't know what his true ceiling is and to me that's the that is the very intriguing element that i have i have no clue and if you don't know uh, it's really tough to um like contextualize and convince yourself hey this is a first round guy
0: uh, one. I have two more questions, and then I'll like I'll uh, drop the subject because uh, this is a wrestling podcast, uh, presumptively. Um, uh, first of all, uh, I I, under, I obviously quarterback is the most important position in the NFL these days. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, that teams are that basically they're reaching for quarterbacks in the first round, especially now, uh, beyond like the top prospects? Again, do you even think the top prospects are kind of getting looked at too high? Like, should uh, Bryce or Young really be uh, the number one pick in this draft kind of situation in a in a world where, like, you know, Caroline is taking a longer view for their franchise?
1: So this is a very complex answer, and I'm going to kind of break it down like this. Quarterback is the most valuable position in football. Exactly. And when you're in a salary cap league, like in baseball, you'd love to have an ace pitcher. You don't need one like an ace pitcher only throws every five days. If you have like three number two pitchers at the top of your rotation, you feel pretty good about that. And you're paying those guys probably maybe 10 million more than you'd pay one singular ace, because you can probably get three number twos for like $15 million a year where Clayton Kershaw is costing you 30 to 35. And that's, it's kind of like, uh, the cost benefit of having a rookie quarterback. If you have a rookie quarterback that you take it number one, overall, you're paying that guy an average, like your average annual value is about $10.5 million. Whereas the average annual value now for Jalen hurts is 51. That's where like you can adjust to things and excuse me, that cost benefit. It's trying to find surplus value. So quarterbacks go higher because of that, because they are the most important position. Um, I'll I'll tell you my big board, and I'll say this: the only guys out of, of the top players I haven't watched are the offensive linemen because the Vikings don't need them and I have a limited amount of time. Um, I would project in my top 10, one or two offensive linemen would make it. But CJ Stroud's my number two overall player. Um, Anthony Richardson's my number six. Bryce Young is my number 10. And then you go down to Will Levis. um, If I can find him, Will Levis is number 40. So I, I don't grade based off positional value. I just grade based off the talent of player. So taking CJ Stroud at number one, to me, isn't egregious to me. (laughs) Taking Anthony Richardson at one would be a little bit more far-fetched. And I think Bryce young, based on how I have just my board based on overall talent, I, I think would be more so, but I also understand people like Bryce Young more than me. Like, right. Dane Brugler from The Athletic, who does the Beast every year, which is, like, 280,000 words about prospects. Like, it's insane how much detail is in there. High, high, high recommend. That's alone is worth the athletic subscription. Um, you look at that, and he's got Bryce Young number one overall. Like, best player in the draft. Like, there's variance, and like I don't necessarily – begrudge anybody who wants to take Bryce Young number one overall it's just not something I would personally do because I value Stroud and Richardson higher but if you were just to draft based on how good the player is Jalen Carter goes number one overall because I think he's the best player in this class and I don't think it's that close defensive Um, tackle for Georgia right yes defensive tackle for Georgia um but he's got off the field issues which are very complicated and I'm not going to dive into him because I I just genuinely don't know um But quarterbacks do get pushed up the board. Um, I don't think any of the top three will get pushed up. They may go like a couple spots higher. And like, look, if you have the guy rated at fifth overall in the class and he goes two, like, that's a, that's a decent disparity, but it's not like end of the world because my number one overall is 88.7 grade. My number five is 88.2. It's not like they're super far as far as like overall talent, but you're right quarterbacks get pushed up and it's because you can capitalize on a rookie deal.
0: Fair enough. Uh, last question. Although I would love to ask you about Stetson Bennett uh, just because I think he's hilarious. Uh, Bijan Robinson. And I hope I'm saying his first name, right? i watched absolutely zero Texas games this past year. Uh, it looks like he's getting talked about as the uh, best uh, running back prospect since Saquon Barkley. And uh, he's currently number two on ESPN's big board uh, as far as talent. Um, Where is he going to get drafted? And is he going to be like a high first rounder? And is that a good idea in terms of how running backs are
1: used in the NFL these days? Oh, this is fun. This is really fun. Um, I don't really know how to contextualize it in wrestling terms. So I'm going to say it like this, Fred. He is on my board the number four overall player. I love Bijan Robinson. He can do literally everything. If you wanted to make him a slot receiver, you can do that. And he's that good. Um, there's a play against Alabama earlier this year where he ran a ran a wheel route. Um, where, for those who don't know, he's in the backfield. He kind of um, angles to the outside and then cuts it straight up the sideline. And it's it almost looks like a J in the route that he runs. But he's running straight up the sideline. The ball's thrown behind him. So he has to stop, plant, and, like, jump behind and turn around and catch the football. Just phenomenal stuff. Like, you don't see that from running backs. Hell, sometimes you don't see that from receivers. And he is the closest thing we've seen to Christian McCaffrey as far as being that true dual threat where you can actually count on him to be a true wide receiver and you'd feel pretty comfortable with it. Uh, the the surplus value for running backs just is not there. It's not. Um, and I can understand... Okay, this has been an something.
0: ongoing issue for at least a decade.
1: Yeah. Um, it, well, it's because you can get a really talented starting running back in round four, round five, like James Robinson for the Jaguars a couple years ago, undrafted free agent, ran for a thousand yards his rookie year. Like you're not going to have elite player in the backfield, but you can get really good without investing a lot of capital. And that's why there's the phrase running backs don't matter. Some teams will still prioritize a really good back highly and it, it can pay dividends, but if you're drafting Bijan Robinson in the top ten, he's already going to be like a top five paid running back in football, as a rookie. Like this is where in a salary cap era, the surplus value makes like Miz a big deal and why running backs get pushed down. Why take um, Bijan Robinson and pay him a top five running back salary in round one when I can get Zach Charbonnet at the end of round two, get probably close-ish production? While even though Charbonnet is not nearly as talented or as explosive. But I'm paying a lot less in draft capital and salary commitment because instead of giving Bijan Robinson like eight and a half, nine million a year, I'm gonna give Zach Charbonnet like two, and that's where the major difference is. And it's for me, it's fascinating because Bijan is a top five player in this class. I genuinely don't know where I'd take him. I really don't. Um, it's it's a really tough one. Um, NFL general managers a lot of times don't care about the positional value thing. I think Bijan goes top 10. And if I had to guess it's Atlanta. Interesting.
0: All right. Well, thank you, uh, Tyler Fornis. This is why you should listen to him about the NFL. Um, I think we've progressed. Link, link
1: is in the description.
0: Yeah. Uh, vi- uh, Put your plugs in here since you just did all that stuff. Like seriously.
1: Absolutely. Um, I am the managing editor for USA Today's Vikings Wire. I have my own YouTube channel called Vikings First in School where we do a lot. It's mainly Viking centric, but we talk a lot of NFL draft. And if you're fans of other teams, you can take that information. And even though we do it with a Viking slant, you're still going to learn a lot about prospects and you're still going to be able to um, utilize that for your own favorite teams. And then I have a new uh, show starting next week on um, the purple daily, YouTube and podcast feed where I'm teaming up uh, with another um, NFL draft expert. Um, to talk NFL draft all year. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Once that comes out, you'll be able to see that on my Twitter feed, but I'm, I'm only going to give that nugget away for right now. Um, But yeah, it's the NFL draft is the best time of year. This is the comparison for the NFL draft. In my opinion would be WrestleMania weekend. Um, Just the excitement, the, the good times, the like, Holy crap nature of the whole thing. It's, it's incredible. Um, I cannot freaking wait. It's um, the podcast. um, I may not be on the show next week, just a heads up um, because of the NFL draft. I'm going to see how much work I can get done and set myself up so I can spend two hours with the podcast on Thursday because Thursday is day one of the draft, but we're going to have a good time regardless. And I am really excited for this whole process. You know what I'm not excited for, Fred? Talk about CM Punk. Let's
0: do it, baby. Um, all right, so we've already covered a little bit of this, but I wanted to get your stuff in. I wanted to talk Huggy Cat and my stupid four twenty story. Um, but yeah, uh, so Collision uh, is going to be a, the second. Um, well, the third AEW in-ring TV show along with Rampage and Dynamite. Um, It's probably going to be slotted higher than Rampage immediately. Uh, It is reported to be a two-hour show that will be airing on Saturdays. The name collision is not confirmed. We're kind of working off the assumption that that's what it will be based off a, I believe it was a copyright or trademark filing. I wish I, I always get those two confused because I am not a lawyer or particularly smart. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, so, um, you know, there's kind of a lot of questions about just how much CM Punk matters to the creation of this show. Um, there's some reports that Dave has heard that basically he was uh, the key reason, like his return was why they got the show uh others have kind of pushed against that so to be seen uh or maybe we'll never find out what that is exactly uh we still have the split roster uh rumors but i think it will basically be do you want to be around cm punk or not um there is the report from this week's observer that cm punk was told to not contact the elite so fantastic uh that's always a good situation um, I think basically, you know, just coming down to why they're doing it, you know, they have millions of reasons, and that's Monet, uh, not Mercedes Monet, but Monet, as to why they want CM Punk back, and that's this TV show and the extra money they're going to be getting it, getting off of it. We don't have any hard numbers as far as what they are getting paid in this deal. Um Hopefully we would get that in the near future, but uh, Meltzer did report that currently uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is paying about half a million per hour for first run television. So if you work off of that, uh, which is where this number is coming from, they would be getting $52 million a year. Um, If I had more time, I would have dug up the details on like what the current deal for Dynamite is paying and kind of projected off of that, but I didn't. So deal. Um, But, you know, still, they are probably going to be getting a solid chunk of change for this uh, TV show. Arguably even something that would really uh, redefine what AEW is within the wrestling business right now. Um, Tyler, given these details and all that, do you think that the CM Punk gamble makes sense?
1: Yes and no. And... It makes sense if you make an absolute ass ton of money with CM Punk versus the elite. If you don't do that. No, um, I, I don't think this is a good idea. And here's why you're like Tony Khan is the best wrestling booker in America. You can tell he, he has struggles dealing with personalities. He has struggles dealing with relationships inside the buildings and, as far as just trying to keep drama from happening. Now, how much of that is Tony Khan's fault versus just professional wrestling in general? I don't know. I'm not there, but looking from an outside perspective, Fred, I really struggle to see that. Like, I I don't know how this is a good idea. You're basically saying, Hey, you can do whatever you want. I will bring you back and then we'll just create a whole new fucking show for you. Like, I understand that CM Punk's different. CM Punk is the antithesis of why all elite wrestling exists. You know, whether anybody wants to admit it or not. Like, that's why his return was such a big deal. That's why you had United Center going bananas for 10 straight minutes when CM Punk came back to professional wrestling. Like he is why this company is here. But at the end of the day, if you're not going to make money with the people you need to make money with, that's Kenny Omega. That's the Young Bucks. There is this massive program right in front of you. And I have a feeling if there ends up being a true brand split and they never do this, because I'll tell you what, the time to do it's right now. And if you don't do it, this is going to be the invasion angle. It's going to botch. You're going to blow millions out your ass. They need to figure out how to work together. They need to sit down in a room. And Tony Khan just needs to be like, look, here's the deal. Punk's under contract. He's coming back. You, I'm going to get some like cops in here and some mediators. Figure this out. Because we are going to make money hand over fist by doing this. And if they don't do it, it's going to be a massive mistake, Fred. It really will. And if there's a brand split, gonna be an even bigger mistake
0: well uh on the one hand uh they do have the mediators in ftr so there's that um
1: oh no don't, hold, on, <laughs> hold on hold on hold on we have to address this the mediators oh we have neutral parties in ftr Dex has been blowing so much shit out of his ass like basically licking cm punk's feet and like there's no way they can be neutral there's no way i don't care how good of a relationship they have with the elite They are obviously pro CM Punk. You have to bring in somebody completely neutral. You know who the closest thing to neutral would be? Sting and Chris Jericho. Jericho's jaded by CM Punk, but that's because CM Punk, like, was CM Punk in WWE. So you have to bring in the true veterans of the locker room. You know what Who would be a good one? Dustin Rhodes. Bring in Dustin Rhodes to sit there and mediate. You know he's got to have seen some shit wcw wwe tna he's he's been through the ringer man like that is a guy if you like especially with dusty being his dad if he can figure out how to help individuals who don't see eye to eye it's dustin Rhodes. like ftr being the mediators the neutral party fuck that that's that's bullshit absolutely not
0: one of my favorite things as a podcast host is to antagonize my co-host. Um, yeah, just real passive-aggressively. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it is very funny that uh, apparently FTR is being talked about. Now, I don't know which side this is coming from or how much truth there is to it, but FTR is being talked about as a mediating party in the uh, CM Punk, Chris Jericho, Tony Khan meeting that is upcoming, uh, apparently still. Yeah. Um, We'll see how that works out. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think, honestly, when you consider that they're getting a new TV deal and they're getting tens of millions of dollars off the back of it, and a important, maybe, I don't know if it's like a critical or a key factor, but an important factor is the return of CM Punk to AEW. I think that's a pretty obvious reason why Tony Khan would try to make that work. Um now, you know, fool me once, shame on you, freak out and try to destroy my company twice, shame on me. Uh, we will see how that works out. I think it's a reasonable gamut or when you, uh, or gamble, I should say, when you have these tens of millions of dollars on the line and a seemingly a not insignificant reason you're getting that money is the return of CM Punk. But I think there's just it's just such a dice roll because it's CM Punk for all the reasons we've been talking about for months, going back to what happened at brawl out. Um, Speaking of, I don't think I put this in the show notes, but this week Adam page went on, went on his Instagram and uh, put out a little statement about how, uh, you know, the whole quote about him, not, you know, take listening to veterans was kind of blown out of proportion. Uh, What he was really trying to say was that he does listen to them, but he, You know, it just has his preference on how he structures things and everything. Uh, But that was one of the big things CM Punk ranted about when he went into his I Work With Children uh, routine way back in June. Um, So, yeah, we had all this fun stuff and now it's going to head. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens to Collision in. I mean, when it debuts, it's going to be a massive TV show. Uh, it, I know that Tony Khan is going to put together the biggest show he possibly can. Uh, the second week will be massive. The third week will be massive. Fourth week will be massive. What will be really telling is what the show is going to look like in three months and six months and twelve months. Um, you know, Because Rampage, it started out hot. And it quickly has become what we have today, which is just four matches, one of which is a squash and one of which is uh, maybe an extended squash and two good, two very good matches where going in, it's obvious who the winner's going to be because they're upper card star and they're facing a lower card wrestler in a heatless, uh, like no real terrible build match for the most part. There's exceptions. There's some storyline advancement, but the storyline advancement is usually with secondary guys. It's not with the Elite or BCC or... Um, you know, any other top star you could think of Jericho, you know, Chris Jericho. Um, it's like the acclaimed who I think could be probably bigger, but that's where they are right now. Outside the title picture and 2.0 and Jake Hager, you know, it's the B team of the JAS. Um, yeah. So,
1: yeah, I, I think you're right. I think structure is just going to be so telling with this new show. Um, like, I, I can't remember who said it. Um, but somebody said that they need to just, I think it might have been in our office, like, this needs to be, like, superstars, like Rampage does. And then use it kind of as, like, a transition show to, um, like, almost, like, bridge Dynamite to this collision car, like, show. And I really like that idea because I think you can get uh, a lot from having a Rampage, but you just need to present it in a different light. And if you present it in a different light, I think you can actually do things with it. And especially because you've done so much damage to it. And this wasn't the initial like uh, vision for Tony Khan. Everything got demolished with how many injuries he had to deal with. And he basically just kind of, for lack of a better term, gave up on Rampage. I don't necessarily think that's 100% fair but I just think he kind of threw in the towel and be like, I wanted it to be this. And it's just not as OD chews on a bottle in the background. So he stops bugging me. Um, Like it's, he wanted it to be a true A show. It's not. And I think this is his second chance to have a second a show. And I'm very intrigued to see what happens, but you can, I think he's dealing with some burnout right now. Like dynamites kind of not, going so well we're going to talk about that um he's booking so many shows and then the jaguars have the nfl draft in six days where he's the director of analytics so he's probably running with his head cut off and it's i'm very intrigued to see how this collision show develops when it actually gets announced and starts Um, my guess is it's going to start after the commitments for the nhl and nba playoffs and so they can kind of coincide with that because you don't want to start a show and then it's second week, it's already at a different time. That's just a yeah. death sentence.
0: I, uh, the June who has the NBA finals this year?
1: Oh, it's it's always ESPN ABC.
0: Okay, cool. Then, um, around that debut point, uh, June 17th, uh, that should be the finals. Yeah, the finals will start on June 1. So either the finals will be over or will be, um, ending right at that time and that'll be on uh, ABC. So uh yeah, I they are out of the window for the uh NBA to have an effect on them.
1: Yeah, I I'm I am very very intrigued to see what ends up happening. Um it's it's going to be interesting and uh we are 40 minutes into the show and we're going to finally stop stop talking about that uh that scumbag. So all right, let's let's uh, let's talk about other news, and let's talk about All In, Fred. Um, that We know that on the first day, there were over 25,000 um, pre-sale signups. There are over 50,000 at this point, but I think this is something that needs to be d- discussed about. Um, ringside for WWE's Clash of the Castle is 4,500 pounds, and if I remember correctly, the pound-to-dollar conversion – is about one to one at this point. Um, I will uh,
0: double check that real quick. Uh, looks like so, one pound sterling is equal to about a dollar twenty four these days.
1: Oh, it's it's up to a dollar Okay, yeah. So forty five hundred pounds would be about fifty six hundred bucks. And so ringside for Wembley is going to be significantly cheaper. And I think this is this could be viewed as a mistake because the people who pay for ringside are the ones who are going to pay. Ah, pretty much whatever to get those seats. Um, only five hundred pounds, um, for ringside, which would be in the neighborhood of six hundred and twenty-five bucks, American. That seems a USA, little
0: light. USA, USA, USA.
1: Um, but I, I'm very intrigued because I know they'll have some uh, bleachers, like nosebleeds, for inexpensive prices because they want to get people in the door. AW's been doing that since the beginning. They know, hey, you know what? If we get people in the door and they enjoy the, enjoy the show. They will end up coming back, and I think that's for the most part come to fruition. Um, I still think that they could have they could have put a thousand pounds for like actual ringside, and that I think that they would have sold those out. But look, if they sell out the building, and they sell out Wembley, nobody's gonna care how much the gate was. It's yeah. it's not even gonna matter. But you, I still think they could have gone higher.
0: Yeah, I, you know, to me, the people who are buying those floor seats, especially the front row ones, they're equivalent to the people in the um the the uh premium uh, app marketplace. You know, your games like Marvel Snap, where you can play play for free. But you know, there's the options to spend some money for resources within the game, and they have a term for some of those people called whales, who carry most of their business by dropping a lot of money each month for these games. I think uh, AEW uh, and honestly wrestling in general, their front side, their front row seats are for the whales in their um, in their. Uh, customer base and when you look at it that way you know the price should be high because that's the group that are willing to pay it you know it's it's kind of amazing that clash of the castle anyone to me anyone would be willing to spend about uh sixty six thousand um, dollars for a one front row seat like that's an absolutely insane amount of money to spend for a ticket to anything in my mind, but there are people, and obviously there were people that were willing to do that. Uh, a W pricing so far below that is, I think a surprise. I I understand wanting to make sure the building is full, but I really don't think that they were going to price themselves out of the marketplace for the people that would be interested in front row seats at a thousand pounds or even 1500. Um, just, I, I think that ticket pricing is very interesting these days, in gener- specifically, but in general. Uh, and uh, it's interesting to me that they are uh, struggling to, or not struggling, I guess I shouldn't say, but they made this decision to go with 500 pounds as the entry point for
1: front row. Yeah. Look, if it sells out, who cares? But I still think they, they could ma- have made some more money on that ringside. And, well, we'll see. We'll see how quickly those ringside seats end up going. Mm -hmm. um in other news commander is all elite fred i think it was just a matter of time i i I want your opinion on this i i think tony khan might be trying to build up uh, his modern day version of the wcw cruiserweights because we had talked there was a lot of conversation when this promotion first started that they were going to do um the, like the Chinese acrobats um, from OWE with uh, yeah. Shima and the Strong Hearts coming in and bringing those guys over. That never came to fruition um, for multiple reasons, mainly the pandemic, and then Joshi. Um, Joshi wrestlers uh, they have a very hardcore fan base, and um, if you love Joshi, Jumping Bomb Audio again, make sure you check those guys out. Um, they have a very very hardcore, passionate fan base, but it's more of a Niche thing at this point, and it wasn't something that caught on initially. And albeit, Tony Khan could have done a much better job of pushing the Joshi and utilizing them better. But I think he really wants to set apart what these guys are like something about this promotion. And I feel like it's modern day lucha wrestlers. And now you already have the Kingo, you have Commander, you have Phoenix and Pentagon Jr. Um, You could uh, lump Sammy Guevara into there. It feels like it's just a matter of time before he keeps bringing guys in and kind of creates his own little, um, like, 1996 WCW
0: luchador group. Yeah, hopefully he'll uh, book them better than uh, WCW did when it came to uh, incorporating them into the rest of the roster. Um, Because I remember those days and just uh, how – you know, even Rey Mysterio really struggled there, steadily. Uh I think uh, currently, and it's going to change rapidly, it's in the process of changing, but for the longest time, the most underutilized source of talent in the United States was Mexico. Um, Lucha Libre has not caught in a lot of mainstream attention uh, over the past 10 years or so, and they've really built up a strong base of stars there that um i'm more surprised wwe hasn't worked on getting uh i think of course wwe doesn't really understand how to push them i would point at Alberto Del rio and uh, andrade almas as key examples of that uh but it makes a lot of sense that uh tony khan is moving to get these stars um and of course I think he's chosen two great options in commander and uh I think he is working on you know if not outright securing him as an exclusive doing some kind of deal like Ray Phoenix and Penta uh where it's a split between AEW and AAA with Hijo del Vikingo. Um Vikingo is I think in my estimation one of the best wrestlers in the world right now, I, I easily top 50, probably top 30. Um and I think he's a fantastic ad for the division for for AEW uh, because he's just such a unique talent. And I think Commander has a lot of potential and a lot of skills that he's been able to really show out. Um, but I also think that we're going to rapidly mine the top stars of Mexico with Dragon Lee jumping to NXT, um, and of course Penta and Ray Phoenix already being uh, stars in AEW, uh, where you're really getting down to. Um, lesser level tiers and like i think psycho clown's really good at what he does but the question is just how does he fit into like the american landscape and is he going to be able to do the stuff that makes him good and then uh you got the cmll guys and um i don't know if they have honestly a true breakout star under the age of 30 poised for uh you know, to make that jump to a major league American company anytime in the near future. Of course, Mexico is an NXT for uh, the rest of the world, and some of those guys will choose to stay there. Um, but um, and of course, I failed to mention how badly WWE treated uh, mist- or handled the Mystico uh, signing back when they did that for Sin Cara. Um, so I don't know. I think that we're at a situation where right now Mexico is as big of a talent pool to draft from. As any in the world, and I also think that's going to uh kind of get maxed out like in the next six months.
1: I really hope that they can find a way to get Atlantis Jr. They never will. I think he's a CMLL lifer because Probably. his dad obviously was there forever. But if you can strike any kind of deal to bring him in for like any length of time, I think would be a huge win because that's the type of star in Mexico that you bring them in then you can really expose your product maybe that like you get an Atlantis Jr versus uh like um like D- Brian Danielson uh, and obviously we know Danielson wants to match with the Blue Panther but mm-hmm. maybe that's how you make like a Mexico debut where you go down there and you have like almost like an all-star festival uh,
0: i the politics of CMLL and A make that very hard because CMLL is very aggressive towards triple a, uh, and you know, they do not want people working with triple a and AEW does a lot of work with triple a still, even after like whatever happened with triple mania last year and all the issues and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that honestly, short of AEW agreeing to, form an exclusive relationship with the CMLL and divorcing themselves from Triple A, uh, that we aren't going to see any kind of meaningful alliance. Now, could Brian Danielson be sent down there uh, to do a month of matches or something? Uh, yeah, possibly. I mean, it's Brian Danielson. he's a huge star. I think he'd be able to sweet talk his way into doing that because Tony Khan likes making his workers happy. Uh, but there's not a 0% chance that CMLL would refuse to take Brian Danielson because of the aa of the triple AEW relationship. You might think that's really dumb and it is, but that doesn't change the fact that it's true. Um just because of how uh severe that relationship is. Um and so I wouldn't rule out the possibility that Brian Danielson is clear to go to CMLL. He goes to CMLL and says, Hey, I'd like to come work for you. And they just say, all right, say no, because of that.
1: I, I could see that, but I also think the the strong relationship with uh, AEW and um, D- New Japan, and then you have CML in there. No, I understand the AAA connection, Look, I'm not going to speak like I'm an expert with wrestling politics in Mexico. Like uh, we need to get um, Cubs fan on for that. And even so, I don't know if Cubs fan would be able to completely identify everything, just because it's so ingrained since the split in 1992. But ah, it. I'm fantasy booking, but we can move on. Um, <clears throat> let's uh, let's continue with the world in Mexico, kind of um, Thunder Rosa. Um, she says she apologized to the locker room and the decision to keep the belt on her for so long without stripping was the decision of Tony cons. And it sounds like they were hoping the back injury would take um, I'm extrapolating here. They're hoping the back injury would take less time to heal and they'd be able to bring her back sooner. And looks like that's, that just wasn't the case. And we've seen that on all access.
0: Yeah. Um, I honestly have not been following all access since the first episode, but you know, I I do know that Tony Khan recently came out and said something along the lines of Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa will never be friends. Um, Maybe they'll be able to get to a better working relationship. Uh, That's me saying that last part. Um, But yeah, it's, um, it's a total uh, mess and it's very interesting to see where Thunder Rosa will slot in. I don't think she's going to not work with, uh, like I don't think that it's so bad that Baker and Rosa will not work together. Um, I think it could very easily get into a little, you know, a little tiffy um, in the ring, uh, but you know that can work out really well for everyone involved. It's just you know on the heels of all the CM Punk stuff, I think the situation uh, was looked a lot worse than it um, than it may have been in isolation, but. You know, when you are hearing all the CM Punk drama, then also the top stars in the women's division are having similar drama. It's not great.
1: No, it's not great. And Tony Khan needs to figure out how to kind of control his locker room. And I, I don't think he's it... not a fear.
0: He's not a fear of God guy. You know, he's not Vince McMahon, where people would be on eggshells all the time backstage. and still are probably uh, out of fear of like somehow just getting dumped immediately by him. Um, it's just a total, uh, just that situation to consider.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's an, it's, it'll be interesting. Let's get some rapid fire news. Cause we've gone almost an hour and we need to, we need to talk about this dynamite because it's, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get worried. Um, Eddie Kingston's out of action due to a hernia problem per the wrestling observer newsletter. He kind of said so himself as well. Uh, Likely needs surgery. Look, as somebody who had a hernia as a child and then um, nearly had one when my appendix uh, exploded and almost killed me, look, they're painful. Get it fixed. Um, Don't blame him whatsoever. And that maybe that's a signal as to why they're continuing the storyline with Eddie Kingston and Claudio Castagnoli. Uh, So we'll see how that plays out. Um, Andre El Idolo said for the first time since he tore his pec muscle, he's been able to do a push-up. That is a huge step in the recovery for a torn pectoral. So that could potentially mean he's he could be back relatively soon. Maybe he's back for Forbidden Door and you get uh, the return of La Sombra versus somebody from New Japan, maybe um, Hiromu, like fantasy booking again. But that could be interesting. But the biggest um, news is just AEW adjacent and potentially AEW related because I wouldn't be shocked if Will Ospreay joins this company next year. He says he has this full range of motion with his shoulder, but the strength isn't quite 100% yet. Um, and that's significant because he is set to face Hiroshi Tanahashi at Wrestling Dantaku for a, uh, in the tournament for um, the United States Championship that Kenny Omega currently holds. The winner of that Osprey Tanahashi match will face Lance Archer at Dominion. And the champion, based on the, the posters that we've seen, And the marketing material would be at Forbidden Door. Um, Tanahashi broke his ribs at Capital Collision in Washington, D.C. on April 15th. He was pulled on the road from Nantaku Tour. So, a lot of injury news. But I think what was most interesting about the Osprey stuff, Fred, is when he ended up doing, I think it was an Instagram Live, talking about his injury, talking about how he had to change his style to continue going. He's already at the age of 30, and he's just... He's like, I'm not going to be able to do this forever, and my clock is ticking, and I don't know when it's going to go. The injuries are starting to mount already. Like That's kind of worrisome hearing from Will Ospreay, but we need to enjoy him while we can because this is going to go down as one of the best wrestlers the world has ever seen.
0: And I also think you could. I mean, it's easy to see the changes in his style over the past four or five years, where he is really modified it and is doing less crazy stuff that will get him hurt. Um, I think it's a pretty fair assessment that, like, what you what he came to fame with in the you know, like the ricochet um, osprey jiff match, you know, that you know, all the traditionalists like freaked out about. Um, it's just a very different. Um, Will Ospreay we have today. He's really matured as a worker. Um, hopefully that will help him. You know, reduce his risk of injury. But I guess we'll just have to see.
1: I love Will Osprey, and I hope he stays around forever. Um, uh, will is, yeah. um, Sean Spears is back. He was out due to the death of his mother, and um, I I, I don't remember what her non WWE name is, but uh, Peyton Royce, the um, the iconics. Uh, Mm -hmm. Half of that team Um, gave birth to his first child. Um, Congratulations. Happy couple. And look, Sean Spears is just, he's a Jag. He's just the guy, but he's a very good version of being a Jag. He's, he's boring, but he's very solid. He's technically sound. You can beat him like a drum and it's fine. I I like having Sean Spears around. Um, I don't, it's the whole bullet club thing is very weird. We'll see how that ends up going. Yeah,
0: it's curious um, to see where he slots into that exactly. But,
1: but look, he's he's a good hand to have on the roster. Um, all right, we're finally done with our news. Yeah, bury the hell out of this show, Fred. I I want your takes because we normally don't talk during the week about AEW so we can have um a better conversation. Yeah. about the show when we record because I think that makes for a better podcast, and I believe you agree with that as well. I do. I'm scared this is becoming too WWE. And what was special about this promotion seems to be kind of fading away. Now, I'm not going to completely go on that train, but I'm, I'm, I'm worried. And I, I'm not going to necessarily blame the producer. Obviously, production is the production itself doesn't feel super WWE, it's what's going on on camera, the storylines. Um, how we're getting from point A to point B in those storylines. I know that this summer is big. You have to get like sell you've already sold out forbidden door. You have to deliver a great super card show. Then you have all in and all out a week apart. Like you're obviously they're saving some of the big programs and matches for those shows, but everything just outside of the elite and Blackpool combat club just feels lackluster and lame. And it's, some of it just feels super WWE, and I'm genuinely starting to get worried that it may become WWE-ish.
0: I gotta say, I I thought the show was alright. I liked it better than last week's show. I went a 7 out of 10 on it. Uh, there was some stuff on it that I don't think worked at all, though. Uh, and uh, I think that we need to just start here. Um Because all the the WWE talk, you know, um, and, you know, the, is Mike Mansuri secretly killing AEW as a secret plant from Vince McMahon. Um, uh, I, I thought that opening segment was really subpar with the, the four pillars coming out to argue amongst themselves for the fourth time in the past month or whatever the hell it is. Um, I if I could go my entire life without having another one of these segments, it would be too soon. Um this is like the WWE style stuff that I think doesn't work. Um and if you had told me that they're going to do some kind of four way feud between the pillars um two months ago for the world championship, I would have thought that would have been pretty cool. And I think it's lost some luster pretty quickly here.
1: Uh it's right, just it, really, not it really has. It's not working, and you, you know what really pisses me off? We're going to do this little mini tournament, and MJF is teaming up with Sammy Guevara, because I think it, this is kind of like the Roman Reigns thing, where Roman Reigns' character is incredibly insecure, and he's not this dominant champion. MJF had to cheat to beat Ricky Starks. He had to cheat to beat Brian Danielson. Danielson had it, and like I understand, but MJF's He's cutthroat. He's going to do whatever it takes to win. And I think what the storyline is here is he's coercing Sammy Guevara because he thinks Sammy's going to be the easiest to beat of the three of them. And he already helped him beat Jungle Boy. He's going to help him beat Darby. And I think what's going to happen is we're still going to get a four-way. Uh, I, I don't see this ending any other way other than a four-way match. And it, this whole path, the, the idea when they first came out after Revolution – to the four pillars. Okay. I can get behind this. This could be good. It, it's a great placeholder. It's you're trying to elevate these three guys, but then they put in positions where they're not ready to succeed. And for me, that's been the most frustrating part, Fred. It's not that they can succeed with this, they haven't been put in great positions to succeed. They're that, working to me, they're, rest on Tony Khan.
0: They're working against against their strengths rather than uh yes towards their weaknesses, which is not a good idea as a booker.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's, that's frustrating. And let, let's kind of go into this first segment, which is honestly what we're talking about. Jungle Boy walks through the ring. And then as you about to speak, Sam McVeara comes out. And then as Sammy starts to speak, you get Darby Allen coming out. Okay, we've seen this before. So right off the top, I'm annoyed because this happened at the, right after Revolution so we're already going back to a, the same trope within this storyline um, then after that you're you're having a conversation and then Darby cuts a babyface promo not emo kid Darby not outcast Darby not I have to work from underneath Darby straight up white meat babyface promo like what are we doing with Darby? You're stripping everything away that made him special, that made him have this connection with the fans. Like, like we grew up Fred in this era of like, I know you're a couple years older than I am, but like mid two thousands, you had the emergence of emo culture. You had the emergence of passionate music that uh, connected with the, with the emotionally frustrated, angsty teen. And, this character resonates with a lot of us because it reminds us of the My Chemical Romances, uh, the Hawthorne Heights, the AFIs, and being able to connect with something that we culture had never really allowed us to connect with before. It became popular. It became like Hot Topic was the store. um, Spencer's like there was an acceptance of that culture, of that that emotional state that a lot of teenagers go through. And Darby was, he's so reminiscent of that because we can, we can connect and relate to him and they're stripping all that away. Yeah. He has the face paint who gives a shit about face paint. The ultimate warrior had face paint. Like uh, when they did the Hulk Hogan turn a bash at the beach, macho man, Randy Savage had face paint on like the sting face paint because they were mm-hmm. facing the outsiders and they, they, it was like the and team him, Luger and Sting, like, Face paint doesn't mean much. It's what's behind it. It's the person, the persona, being able to connect with them as far as a character, and that's why Darby's become so popular. Why are they just making him like a white meat baby face? Why, like, I, I hate to use this term because I, I, I just can't think of another one. They're humanizing him, and that's not the character of Darby Allen. He's a daredevil. He's, he's an outcast. He's a loner. Like the relationship with sting is like kind of like a bridge between the two worlds. Like I, I I'm just so frustrated with what they're doing here with him. Jungle boy. Like, he's kind of in this weird ambiance where he's still a baby face, but they're, they're trying to make him be like more of like a star. He's just not quite ready yet on the mic. And Sammy Guevara just comes off like a shitbag. bag. Like that's his character. Yeah. A shit bag. Um, but this Darby stuff is so incredibly frustrating because when he eventually wins that title, which let's be honest, three, four years, if he's not dead or paralyzed, he's winning that belt. That's going to be a moment. But it, what they're doing right now, if they continue with any form of this moving forward, especially after the Sting split, because it's going to happen within a year, because Sting's going to retire. That, like that moment is going to absolutely collapse. And it's going to be nowhere near what it could have been because you did this now. And maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe I'm going too far out on the limb. But this company, everything matters. Fans remember this stuff. And you got to be careful that you don't ruin Darby.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, another issue... Um... Here really is, I thought Darby came off as kind of a heel with his interaction with uh, Jack Perry. Um, yeah, I, I, I first of all, I just thought the whole uh, what are you calling yourself these days is very cringy and does more to harm Jack Perry than get anyone else over. So, mm-hmm. miss me with that. Um, on top of that, um, you know, I don't want to see these people just bicker in the ring endlessly, like yeah, that just sucks. Um, Darby Allen celebrating when he's drawn to be to get the buy in in the tournament is extremely un Darby Allen like to me. Um it just felt like that's not what you should be having this guy do. He should be a guy that like wants to fight and wants to beat people. Um but you know, they did that. Uh, I just think this stuff is really like kind of cutting against the characters of the baby faces Perry and Alan. Um, I actually think Wavar is doing pretty well in these. Um, I don't think he's been hurt I think he's been boosted by this more than hurt um I and I think that it you know this is a dated reference because I'm an old but I remember back in the day they had Muppet babies the Muppet um,
1: babies yeah I love it, the Muppet babies
0: and the the school mom or the nanny or whatever she was it's been a long time um you know like you never saw her face and she was always positioned bigger than the muppet babies and always was like the one like corralling them and it feels like mjf is the muppet baby of this segment and it's like <laughs> what are you know this is not quirkin you know it's it's mjf's the adult uh the heel adult but he's he's the heel adult and uh the The dumb kids are in the ring arguing and MJF's got to come out and sort it out. And it's just like, let's not like we're making the the heel, the main heel look like the top guy in the situation and above the challengers. And that just doesn't work. Um I think the tournament, you know, I actually, <laughs> a week ago, I would have been happier with a, a proper four-way as a main event for the pay-per-view between these four. Uh, but it looks like we're going to do the tournament. I actually don't think they're going to do a four-way now. I think it's going to be Darby Allen beating Sammy Guevara, possibly because of uh, busted MJF interference. Um And I think that will actually work pretty well, but we got to get Darby. I just don't think this was a good week for Darby as far as the mic work and what they were having him do specifically. And hopefully we can just move on and avoid this nonsense and, you know, just get back on track.
1: Yeah. We need to get back on track. Honestly, that segment just left me so frustrated. Um, But the next segment is a setup for something later in the show. And we'll end up getting to that. AW Women's World Champion Jamie Hayter and Dr. Burt Baker DMD versus the Outcast Ruby Soho, and Tony Storm with Soraya. This ended up being a pretty decent match. Um, yeah, that was good. Like, I, I think Soraya is getting a little bit of a bad rap. I think she's going to end up being okay. In that three-way at the pay-per-view, she was okay. Um, I do think that getting equipped with this house style is taking more time than some people would have liked. But I think she's going to end up being okay as a wrestler. She's never going to be great, but yeah. she's going to be capable and she's going to be able to go with some of these other really talented women. Um, but continuing to have her at just as that, that scummy manager in some of these matches, I think is a really good role for her at the moment while she continues to get more comfortable and get some of that ring rust off. Um, but this ended up being really good, and you get a couple of really good near falls with uh, Storm Zero, and I believe it was um, um, the Haterade as well. Like, And then Britt Baker gets Ruby Soho to tap. Um, I can't remember what that submission is called. Uh, the Lockjaw. Lockjaw. Um, and then this was a setup, and let's kind of jump forward a little bit because I want to transition right into this because they're they're interconnected. Um, you had Chris Jericho and Adam Cole going face to face. Adam Cole is like, "Oh, I modeled my career after you, Chris." Um, Adam Cole, baby, was because of you. Um, and Chris Jericho is like, "I have no respect for you." And then they end up uh, exchanging blows. And Britt Baker comes out to uh, confront Chris Jericho face to face. And who's there? The Outcast. And this is what I think is very interesting. The outcasts end up jumping Britt Baker. They handcuff Adam Cole to the ring rope. And then they beat the living crap out of Baker. And Baker had a slip. I don't know if you caught this. Um, on All Access, they've been referring to Adam Cole by his shoot name as well. Austin. Mm-hmm. She set called him Austin in the ring on camera. It's and, a shoot, baby. Yep, it is a shoot. But I think... What's really interesting about this is one, they gave Baker her, her win in her hometown, which they always seem to do. They did it with Wardlow too, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but they also got mega heat on Jericho and the outcast, which I think was a really smart call. And I, am I, I like the, um, that these two are now loosely paired together because the idea of the Jericho appreciation society is their sports entertainers. The Outcasts are not welcome in this company. They're, they're not from here. They're not homegrown. So essentially you could, and especially with Soraya sports entertainer. So I kind of like that loose affiliation here. I think it works really well.
0: Yeah. I don't know that we're going to see any more really in, you know, tie between the outcast and JAS. Uh, I think it works just fine as a uh, one, you know, like it makes sense in this one circumstance. I don't know that I really want to see them tied together uh, going forward, but I like this segment. Um, Look, I know there's been a lot of push on uh, the status of some AEW storylines. And I do think that there are legit things to complain about. Like, the the four pillars thing is not working. I do not understand, like, what's been going on with Swerve Strickland at all. I thought at the beginning of the year that he could have been in the world title picture by the end of this year, if not sooner. And now, like, that momentum is gone. I think this powerhouse Hobbs thing has been an utter flop. There's lots of stuff to complain about. I actually like this angle quite a bit. Um, is it WWE style? Yes, but I think that's more of a, to me, it's more of a Chris Jericho style than a, uh, you know, this, uh, what? <sighs> shit, I just had his name pulled up. Um, the the man, Mike Mansuri. I don't think that this is some Mike Mansuri spooky hands from up north thing. This is just, to me, an extremely... Uh, chris jericho style angle and i thought it was a very good one i liked it um and if you know there's probably an argument that they have too many of these types of angles going on at once but i would not get rid of the good ones i get rid of the bad ones i wouldn't do this wwe style shit with four pillars because that's not what at least two of them are good at um but Adam Cole and Chris Jericho they're good at this kind of angle and I think this was a good storyline. Uh uh we released a good angle right here for their storyline.
1: I'm with you. I thought it was a good storyline too. And I'm intrigued to see how this grows and develops because it's I don't think this is a one-off, but I also don't know what I'm and I'm with you in that sense where I don't know if I want to keep these two teams connected, but it feels to me initially like how MJF felt with the firm there's that loose affiliation, but <laughs> it wasn't a true partnership and i'm wondering if they kind of take the same direction initially with this
0: yeah that that will be something to watch and you know there's more there's some reasons for them to be affiliated going forward and uh you know they could even set up like a mixed tag match involving cole jericho baker and soraya or whoever um now another angle that i think really worked this week um coming off of the uh you know the WWE style thing and I think this are angle is arguably a little sports entertaining but I liked it a lot was the Elite and Blackpool Combat Club. I thought this mm-hmm. was a fantastic angle and um honestly I think this is the best storyline AEW has going right now by like a, a good margin. Yeah,
1: and we'll talk about that in a little bit but let's get back to being a little bit chronological. Um Renee Paquette interviewed Wardlow backstage and this this was really good because I AW doesn't forget things. It's I don't. I wouldn't say it's quite as cohesive as Dragon Gate, where ev- everything does matter, but it's not quite on the same level. But um, Wardlow, if you remember, um, had affiliations with Tully Blanchard. So now he has affiliations with Arn Anderson, and they made reference of that. Like The little things matter here, and I really appreciated it. Um, and then Arn Anderson talk- basically talks about how they're pulling out the big guns, the Glock. And then he uses the Glock in the match, and I thought that was really cool. But I think when we get to there, I think the um, how they utilized help, I think, is going to be really fascinating. But let's get to this Blackpool Combat Elite stuff, Fred. This was phenomenal. My favorite part of this was the Elite just wanted to kind of settle things. Um, Danielson starts talking like an asshole, and the BCC blindside him. Don Callis comes out with the chair, um, and they're like, what are you doing with the chair? He runs back to the ring like a like a little bitch and then brings out Takeshita, who's, like, in his socks. And I don't – like, somebody said that this feels like Takeshita in the Ibushi role, and I think that's kind of right. But Callis recruiting Takeshita, and then now he's elite adjacent, I think is, one – a great way to elevate Takeshita. Yes. Because what you can do is, I believe the elite's going to end up winning this feud in the end. I do. Takeshita getting the win and getting that final pinfall. And then you can use that to set up some kind of like jealousy um, angle with uh, Kenny Omega and the Bucks and the elite, because he's not really the elite. He is elite adjacent. Um, because of the Don Callis connection, then you can continue that storyline. And even though we meme Triple H for the story never ends, well, the story really doesn't end. That's kind of the whole point of professional wrestling. Like he's saying it as a cop out, but it's true. You go from one one arc to the next. It's it's kind of like an anime or a soap opera in that sense. Like you're doing one story and then transitioning into another story. It's not
0: your characters like, evolve.
1: Yes, um, they are Pokemon. They all are. Um, Some are Rattata, some are Charizard. Um, But I think it's really interesting how this was all intertwined. And like you're right. This was fantastic.
0: I I love this. Uh, When Don Callis came out, I was hooting and hollering. And then when he came back out, I hooted and hollered even more.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I I, want to see where this goes. (sighs) do you think this is blood and guts? Because I have real hesitance that it, that it is. And a lot of that comes from Kenny saying, Oh, well, we'd like, like to, you'd like it if we did blood for blood, but that's your game. That's not ours. And that kind of tells me that you're maybe not heading for blood and guts, but that also could just be the beginning of like a transition to where these guys end up wanting to go blood for blood and just, finishing a real blood feud in that that environment
0: you know i don't know i don't have a solid feel for where this is going i mean blood and guts is an obvious option when you add up the numbers and everything um though i do think that no it'd be four and four now so uh the numbers make sense um you know you could do an anarchy in the arena thing because yes it was a jericho thing at first, but I mean, obviously the Blackpool combat club was the other side of that. And you could just twist it into a more serious, um, just a whole stadium wide brawl, which I think would be pretty awesome. Um, I think there's a lot of options here and I'm really curious to see which one they take. Cause I don't have a, an obvious feel for which one they will be taking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even, that's why I love professional wrestling. There's so much we don't know. Um, Next up, TNT Championship match that was mentioned earlier. Powerhouse Hobbs with QT Marshall versus Wardlow with um, the man who carries the Glock, Arn Anderson. This was good. A little too much interference for me. But the one thing that I found interesting is when QT Marshall did his interference spot, um, Arn Anderson kind of came out to confront him. But then we had Pentagon Jr. come Mm -hmm. out. And I thought this is what's intriguing to me. Are we getting a new potential faction with Wardlow and the Lucha Brothers? Because that could be fun.
0: It could be. Uh, You know, maybe just a loose affiliation, but it will be something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, I, you know, I'm kind of dubious because I think Wardlow works best with just loose partnerships rather than outright... uh, Groups if he's being pushed as the top star, you know, or as a as a future top star babyface. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is intriguing, and unfortunately, I think this means QTV is not dead. Um, I think that uh, would you say that's the worst part of AEW this calendar year? There's definite recency bias here, but.
1: The formation of QTV, where Hobbs won the title because of QTV, I think is the worst singular part of AEW this year.
0: I would actually actually argue it's been the follow up since that. I think QTV as the or QT Marshall as the heel manager is fine enough on its own if you are going to have Hobbs' position as heel, but the um, all this everything since then has sucked. I think. The, the QTV segments, the fact that they've really put Hobbs on the back burner to feature QT Marshall. Um, it's not working, man. It's not good.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's been rough. It really has been um, Renee Paquette backstage to interview Sammy Guevara. And this is where we got the kind of evolution of this feud. MJF um, interrupted Sammy and said he had an offer for him, offered him a blank check and a spot in the double or nothing main event. If he promised to just lay down, Sammy smiled, wrote his price in the check and they hugged. And Renee said, seems like a fair price to me. That's important. And we'll hold off until the main event before we kind of evolve that story. Um, But this one was fascinating. Switchblade Jay white with juice Robinson versus commander. This was a very weird match. And I'll be honest. I think it delivered. This was entertaining It was a great contrast of styles. The right man won. But let's talk about Jay White. Huge coup for AEW to get him on. Everybody thought he was going to WWE. What do you think about the presentation of Jay White so far? Oh,
0: buddy. I'm glad you brought this up. I don't think it's been good. Um, I think it's Uh, been...
1: Elaborate because... Sure. I thought the initial debut was good, but it's more about the follow-up.
0: He it really feels like he's been slotted as a mid carder and not a top of the card star. And uh, I mean, I know he's feuding with Ricky Starks, which ostensibly should be like a a rising star versus a new star kind of feud. But how they've been booking them with this storyline, like last week, uh, I think Jay White got a minute on TV, and that was insane. Uh, this match, I mean, it was a good way for Jay White to you know have a good match. But frankly, I thought Commander got a lot more out of it. Um, I I, I like this match a lot as just a, you know, putting stars on paper kind of thing, like grading it. I thought it was a four and a quarter match. Um, Easy notebook. But I think the idea of how this match progressed, like when I when I finished watching the match, the performance I walked away with was commanders and not Jay White's. And in six months, if this were to happen, I wouldn't think twice about it. But this was Jay White's debut match at AEW. And he took maybe 20% of it. And that's just very odd to me. Um, attacking Sean Spears at ringside uh, was weird. Especially when, like, look, he's Sean Spears. I love him. I think he's really great to have in the slot he's at. But he's also, he's Sean Spears. Can you move him off the cart a little bit? Yeah, probably. But, like, you're not going to have beta vent Sean Spears anytime soon. Um, I don't think you're ever going to have that, um, at least not on television. <laughs> Maybe Impact, I guess. I think that's a little rough to Impact. Uh, but, like, I, I just I don't get the direction of Jay White. If it, I would have brought in Jay White, and it would have been a big deal. It would have rearranged storylines, even. And I feel like the, the, the Jay White debut has been very soft. I think he's been positioned as not a major factor when he should have been. And it's odd to me. It doesn't really make a lot of sense.
1: Here's kind of my take on it as my dog decides he wants to sit on a backpack because it's his dinner time and we're still recording. Um, I I get where Tony's coming from, and I'm not going to say I agree. But what it feels like to me is he doesn't have a, a high end, uh, something high end for him to do. So he's positioning him with Ricky Starks. Well, that's and... fine.
0: The, the positioning itself is fine. Uh, opposite Starks, I think it's everything else that mm-hmm. has been really questionable.
1: I do think it's important to note that his first match got top of the hour. That yep. He got quarter hour five. Like, I, I understand they're not positioning him like a star, and I think they could be a little better than that. But I also think that it's one of those things where, and and I'm – just kind of rambling because I'm trying to get a coherent thought in my head where it's recoverable. You can recover from this because of what Jay white is and how they're going to continue to push him. And obviously it, it's a coup for this company to have Jay white and putting him at the top of the hour in that big spot with commander who uh, this, this could have easily gone really bad because yeah. of the of styles. They, they delivered a very very good TV match. And Commander really doesn't have a lot of matches. He has a lot of spot fest. And spot fest are matches. And I'm not I'm not trying to delineate those or make them feel any less than they are, but a, a spot fest versus something super cohesive like this is just different. And yeah, this Jay was White very cohesive. To, like, like commander's what, like 22? He's, He's young. He's not yeah. old. Like for him to be able to draw that out of Commander, I thought was a really big seal of approval for like, uh, hey, he's going to be fine in this American TV wrestling thing. Um, and I mean, we saw that with Impact, but this is even more so. Um, yeah,
0: I I, I, uh, I go back to the Sammy Guevara Commander match from um, three, two, two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago now. Uh, which I thought was fun enough, but it was also a mess uh of swords because it felt very much like Commander was a video game character who just kept spamming his uh his big rope walk moves rather than a fully cohesive match. And I thought this was a, a lot better in that respect. Um uh but yeah, I mean that's kind of my take on it. I thought it was uh I thought it was a really fun match. I thought it, thought it was structured really well, and I liked how it went.
1: Mm-hmm. What it, It's going to be interesting to see how this continues. Um, obviously, Sean Spears was ringside holding up, like, number signs because he's oh a former 10 guy. It yeah. kind of gave me um, NBA All-Star Game dunk contest vibes with the, how he was doing the numbers. Um, but it was initially like, like hey, is Spears going to be the next Bullet Club guy? Um, Spears was not impressed with Jay White. Uh, Juice Robinson pulls Spears over the barricade. Okay, they swarm him. And then this was interesting. Absolutely. Ricky Stark sprints down. He ducks a clothesline from Jay White and immediately dives into a sick-looking spear on Juice yeah. Robinson. Jay White, being the marmy heel he is, um, gets out of the ring. It feels like we're going to get two-on-two tag at some point down the line, maybe next week, with Jay White and Juice Robinson, Bullet Club Gold versus Ricky Starks and Sean Spears.
0: You know, I think I talked a little bit about Action Andretti not too long ago, but I think he's been supplanted by Sean Spears, which is
1: not a good good sign for him at all. Yeah. Um, I'm... Whatever. I, I'm holding <laughs> off on, on Action Andretti. That, that's a weird deal. Um, we're about to hear from FTR with uh renee paquette when um they told FTR that Mark Briscoe had been attacked early in the night this ended up leading to um a video package with um Mark Briscoe and yeah uh, both I don't I don't know uh, Sanjay Dutt's little group Jay Lee Phil Jeff Jarrett Singh, and i saying they need a FTR. they need a
0: name I wish they had a name just for our you know purposes
1: Yeah, we're going to call him Jeff Jarrett's lackeys. Um, But it's uh, we found out that it was the varsity athletes that ended up um, and Slim J that were attacking Mark Briscoe. So Rampage is going to have Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and FTR versus the varsity athletes and Slim J. Sounds like that this may be a tag title program, which I think could be um, fun. It keeps keeps things off of... um, the acclaimed, yeah. It, well, it also keeps some of the bigger money programs for down the, the line. I still think you should belt up Jeff Jarrett, but I don't think they're going to do it because I think they have plans for FTR to really enhance this title reign,
0: yeah. And I think, I think that time has passed, uh, for peak Jeff Jarrett, uh, AEW champion, um, after they lost the four way, to be honest.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you there, but. Now we get the acclaimed um Anthony Bones Max Castor and Daddy Ass Billy Gunn versus Cool Hand and Daddy Magic, and Jake Hager. The acclaimed lose, they have to join JS until double or nothing. Well, they didn't. Um, the acclaimed wins. I don't know where the hell this goes from here, but this kind of I sucks. hope that's
0: it. <laughs> I hope this is it. Um, this was a complete house Him like piss break match, just missed me with this.
1: It's it sucked. Um now we have the four pillars tournament as Darby Allen early in the show ended up getting a bye until next week in Miami. So it's Spanish God, Sammy Guevara with Tamello versus jungle boy, Jack Perry. This was a good match. Um, so it, the finish, we have to talk about that because that's honestly the big story behind the match. Um, they're out their uh, Jungle boy gets pushed onto a table where he hits the table, like cheek first. And he out of, Yeah, it was a cool-looking bump, but it looked like it hurt like hell. Yeah. Um, at about 7, Sammy Guevara ends up like grabbing Bryce Remsburg because Bryce Remsburg can be manipulated like that. And MJF comes out and hits Jungle Boy with the diamond, Dynamite Diamond, jumps and hides behind the barricade. Uh, Sammy gets Bryce to restart the count of 10. And at 9, 10, and boom, Sammy Guevara wins by countout with outside interference from MJF. This is like we saw the earlier segment, and then we saw this. And now next week, I think he's going to beat Darby Allen with some similar bullshit. And I think you're this is why it's still going to end up a four way.
0: See, I think you've got to have Darby beat Guevara, uh, just for the sake of it. Um, you know, making I, I think if you, uh, if you have Darby lose then I think you might actually risk the crowd turning on this completely. Um, I just think that would work terribly. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, this was a finished match. I liked the work in the match. I thought they were having a pretty good match. And then I thought the finish was pretty damn flat. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, the
1: finish was pretty flat. Um, Kinda is what it is at this point. We'll see how this goes, but that's dynamite. Um,
0: Solid in the ring. uh, Some very good angles and some not very good angles at all. So,
1: I gave the show a five out of ten. I I I didn't like it. Um, But that's fair. I I also I also think that a five out of ten is kind of on like a dynamite scale because we've been super super spoiled with this company. We've been like this company's been so phenomenal. With television, and this has kind of been a down point. And will this continue? I don't know. But um, this is—I I, me- I mentioned this in our office Slack. Like, this is the least I've been invested in Dynamite since the company started. Um, and I don't know how much of it is just because I'm so ingrained in my NFL draft stuff, or it's the storylines, or honestly both. But I wasn't alone in that sentiment.
0: No, and I, you know grain of salt and all that because cage match is fun to look at. And I think it means something, but I don't think it means like everything. Right. Yeah. Um, just, I I went back and I looked at the show ratings on cage match for dynamite. And I think, um, we, part of the problem here is we're coming off of what might've been the greatest run in American TV wrestling history, uh, from, November 23rd from basically the Thanksgiving dynamite until February 8th, so the championship fight night. Every dynamite on cage match has at least a 7.6 rating um in that stretch and that's a stretch of 8 10, 12 12 dynamites. Um where the worst one was uh you know like a four star mm-hmm. show basically if you're going by that scale. Um mm-hmm. you you've got of those 12, 10 of them were eight plus and it also included a, uh, 9.10. So like basically one of the best episodes of wrestling TV ever with that, uh, the, the, Escalar de la Muerte, uh, elite death triangle match, um, as the main event. And since then, uh, we have had in the, uh, I'm not going to do the Joe lands accounting because, uh, doing my own thing here. But in the 10 Dynamites since that streak, we have had three under seven one or four under seven. Uh, one at a 4.73. Uh, one at 5.74. Uh, now there's been some high points like uh, the Elmont, New York um, Long Island show um, was 8.71 on there. Uh, there's a couple of the Independence, Missouri and the Winnipeg ones were both about 8.2. But it has been a long time since you go back through these numbers and see like a stretch of like under eights even like that. Um, I think you basically for this kind of, you know, this common of a under seven show on cage match, you have to go back to. Uh, the start of night, you know, maybe the start of 2022, but honestly, closer to the summer 2021 when it was the pandemic still in Jacksonville with the Friday Night Dynamites.
1: Oh, the Friday Night Dynamites! I'm glad those aren't still around. I yeah. I hated those. They they drove me bonkers. Um Yeah. Look, and, and, and you know what? Maybe it's just because we do the show and we analyze it and and we become a little overcritical on some things. And maybe that's why I'm just a little down, but I still think a five out of 10 is still a fine wrestling show. Like but for a dynamite,
0: raw, that's a that's a disappointment. It, yeah, disappointment. It's a
1: major disappointment. Mm-hmm. Like a really good raw might get a six or seven out of 10. Like, so in context, I guess it's fine, but I just didn't love this. Like, and I, I, it's, it's fine. I I, I, I went totally seven out of it, ten on it. it. Yeah.
0: I, uh, I, next next dynamite. Hopefully, will be a lot better. Uh, I I will say that uh, I like the sum of the part, not the. I like the individual parts more than the sum. Uh, the inverts of that uh, cliche. I thought there was some pretty good stuff on here. I thought there were. Four matches that were at least like notably good. I thought there was a notebook match. I thought there were two very good angles. So, like looking at it like that, I, you know, I thought that parts of the show were very entertaining. I think that it's totally fair though to have some, some criticism of the overarching stuff going on in the company though. And uh, I, I think if you want to go harsher on the score, I definitely don't have a problem with that. Yeah.
1: Well, Fred, that is our show.
0: I do want to work in one thing real quick here. I Because, frankly, we've been harsh on Taya Valkyrie uh, since she came in and how we didn't want to see her. And I, I would probably give a fair bit of this credit to Emmy Sakura. But I thought their Rampage match last Friday was actually like very solid. I liked it. It was like a three and a half star match to me. And uh, look, if I'm going to shit on Ty Valkyrie, I'm going to give her credit too. And I thought she did a very good job in that match. And for the first time in her entire AEW run, I was like, "All right, let's uh, let's go." You know, I'm happy she's here.
1: Yeah. Um, if she performs like that, it's going to be really hard to uh, to be mad about the signing. But yeah. But we've seen so much data um saying that she's not that good
0: yeah but you know give her credit for this one so
1: oh anybody who, who delivers get should get credit um but we'll see um yeah that's our show uh we will be back in some form next week hopefully i will be able to have time to join but next week is probably my busiest week of the year um with the nfl draft coming up and everything that i have going on so at the very least you'll have fred Hopefully, it will be a full show. Um, but we'll see. With my wife out of town, I have all the time in the world to get whatever I want done without having to really worry about anything else, which will definitely help for me being on the show. But we'll kind of see. Sure. Um, you'll get something from us. We promise you that. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at um, GoodBadHungi. You can email the show at hungipod.com. You can... Um, Ask us questions via the Discord, um, email, or by DMing either of us on Twitter. Um, I am at the real Forno, and Fred is at Flag and Wrestling with an R. And as we end the show, we do have a question that we honestly should have a- uh, answered when we talked about um, the uh, Tony Khan potentially making his own version of the uh, the WCW Luchadors um, from Evil Trident on the Discord. How long until Commander and El Hijo Del Vikingo stop being cool on TV? And why is it never? Because they have a La Parca, LA Park phase.
0: (laughs) Uh, Look, I think they're both uh, very talented workers. I think Commander has some stuff to improve on, but I think it's pretty promising. Um, And I think Vakingo is already there. So, you know, I'm happy with, uh,
1: I you know, I
0: think they're great. And I think that they're great
1: additions. Yeah, I think so too. It's... It's going to be very interesting to kind of see how everything plays out. I am I'm very high on both of these guys. i I don't think they'll stop ever being cool unless they can't do the flippy do stuff that they do. But yeah. I will say, appreciate it because after two years of seeing it, you're gonna become less appreciative of it. So just don't stop appreciating how incredible they are. That's yeah. my best advice.
0: and there's already talk out there about how the King goes beat up. so you know, I remember the when Barbara been- Cavernario Co- was on the up and getting a lot of praise and also criticism for his like dives to the floor and stuff like splashes to the floor, I should say. So just keep that in mind.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I think uh Vikingo just might need to take a little bit of a break for a month because he's the last yeah. few weeks, he's just been going a million miles an hour and he's been great. But uh, it's professional wrestling, not baseball. That takes a really big toll on your body, especially when you're doing all the flippy do stuff. The Kingo does. Um, yeah. But that is our show. Make sure if you are listening on the voice of wrestling podcast feed, thank you very much. But if you want to continue to support the show, please uh, go subscribe to our solo feed. And there also something we've never mentioned before. There is a spot. If you go um, to our page on red circle, um, our show page, there's a spot for donations. If you want to throw us a couple extra bucks, because you think we're really cool. Um, You can also do that for Fred on his Patreon, where he puts some really interesting deep dive stuff. Um, Until then, this is the good, the bad, and the CM Punk. Have a great day. Take it easy.